Uh, we're in our, uh, towards, I guess, end of year series in the book of Revelation. And we're going to be in the book of Revelation, chapter verse, chapter 12 to 14. Um, and we're going to be talking about the, the idea of worship today. Now, the word worship means to show love and adoration towards something or someone. Now, I know that when we use the word worship, especially in Christian circles, immediately we think of worship as, as in music. But uh, music is a part of worship, but actually worship is, is anything that we do to show our love and adoration towards something or someone that is of meaning and of value. And so if we broaden the term worship, what we recognize is that actually we all worship something. We all worship something. It's not a question of do you worship in your life. It's a question of what do you worship. Worship is not just what we do on Sundays at church, but it's the choices you make in your day-to-day life. Worship is living your life, and I love this quote, worship is living your life as if something really mattered to you. We are all worshipers. And the question is, what do you worship? Who do you worship? Now, for a lot of us believers here, we worship God. Our love and adoration goes towards God. But we could also worship money. We could also worship sex. We could also worship power, family, relationships, possessions, your career. Anything that is of value and worth that you show love and adoration to, we could say that that's something that is an object of your worship. One of the most common ones that that we see or I see these days being a family man is how parents worship their children. Their love and attention just go to this child. And they, they, it, they don't go and offer, you know, they, they don't bow down to their children, but they pretty much do everything else. Well, time, energy, money, affection, love. It's all worship. And what we're going to see in Revelation 12 to 14 as we look at what does the end of the world look like? It's going to ask the same question. Who is it that you worship? So we begin in chapter 12, where we're introduced to a woman who is pregnant and is about to give birth, like my wife, for the fifth time. (sighs) We're having another boy, by the way. That was exciting. So now we have boy. Thank you. It's as if I achieved something with that. (laughs) Didn't do anything. So now we have boy, boy, girl, boy, boy. See, if you think about it like that, this is crazy, right? Chapter 12, we're introduced to a woman who is pregnant, and there's another character that's introduced, and it's pretty much an enormous red dragon. So we have this pregnant woman, and we have this dragon, and we see the interaction in verse 4. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Now, 
if that's going to set the scene, right? You know, it's not like the doctor is standing in front of the woman waiting for the woman to give birth so the doctor gets the baby. This dragon is standing in front of the woman so that once the baby comes, the dragon may devour the child. Not, not a great situation. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up by up to God and to his throne. And so it, it, it's like a movie. You've got to really use your imagination and creativity with this. This woman gives birth to this child, and this dragon is waiting there for this child to be born because once the child is born, the dragon wants to destroy this child. And she gives birth to this child, a male child, and it's, and it's written, it's quoted, we'll rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And we see that that quote actually comes from Psalm 2. You know, we talked about how Revelation was, was, was using a lot of the imagery and, and a lot of the symbolism from Old Testament. This is another example of that. But instead of the dragon getting his hands on the child, we see that the child is snatched up, is saved from the dragon, taken straight up to heaven. So you got woman, you got child, and you got dragon. So who's the dragon? Chapter 12, verse 7 to 9. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So who's the dragon? The dragon is Satan. He's the devil. Now, if you, if you grew up in the church and you, you sort of have read a little bit about this, you would know that Satan is the enemy of God, but actually Satan was an angel of God. And was an angel of God that decided one day that he didn't want to be under the lordship of God and he wanted to be his own God. And, and this is one of the passages that gives us the picture of where did Satan come from and the question of where did evil come from. You know, if you're a non-believer and a non-church person and, 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 you're, and I'm telling you this story about Satan and about evil and about demons, you might be like thinking to me, man, like this feels like an animation, feels like some cartoon, you know, sort of, sort of like some myth or some mystical like X-Men kind of thing, right? And it doesn't seem real. And a lot of times people don't believe in God because they just can't see him or they can't feel him. Well, they can't understand and, and, and they're like, Satan, no, no, that's just a made-up thing for all the evil in the world. And, and, and what, what, is, what we're saying is, no, no, it's right here and it's, it's what the Bible says. And if we believe that what the Bible says is the word of God and is the ultimate truth, then Satan exists and that's how Satan came about. We see the story continue to unfold where the, the, the child is taken away, and then now the dragon in its anger pursues the woman. The woman who had given birth to the child and is now at war with the woman and the rest of her offspring. Who's the woman and, 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 and who's their offspring? They're the people of God. Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony. That is the people of God. 
And so we see that the picture that is drawn is not only now between a woman and a dragon, but we see the reality of a spiritual battle between God and his followers and Satan and his. And the reality is that is our reality. We, I know it's really hard to imagine this because we live in Australia. We live in one of the most peaceful countries in the world simply because we're so far away. People don't come to attack us. And plus half of our country, you can't even live there. And there's just a big rock in the middle, right? We don't understand this because it's hard for us to swallow this on a day-to-day basis. But the reality is that we live in a spiritual battle, a battle between God and Satan, a battle between good and evil. That is our reality, whether you believe that or not, whether you experience that or not, that is our reality. There is a war at large and we're right in the middle of it. In chapter 13, we see two new characters introduced into the story and they are two beasts. Now, these beasts are under the influence of Satan himself. Um, 13 uh, verse 4, people worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beasts and they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Right? So that's the first beast. Second beast in verse 12. The second beast, it exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Now, once again, lots of imagery. If if I read the whole chapter, there's a lot more description and a lot more imagery. Feel free to do that. I hope that you do that in your life groups this week. But you've got to understand that the beasts are on the side of the dragon. So you got dragon, and then you got beast one, and then you got beast two, and they're all on the same side. And they're all fighting against God, and they're all fighting against the woman. Okay? But tonight, as I said, instead of going into the imagery and all that, I just want to go into what these two beasts represent. The first beast, it says, uh, 13.1, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. The first beast that came out of the sea represents political and military power of the empire. It's talking about governments. It's talking about regimes. It's talking about powers. The first beast represents the many political and military empires, past, present, and future. Now, if we remember, when this was written, when Revelation was written, the, the, the controlling power at the time was the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was ruling and reigning over the whole area, and they were oppressing especially the Jews and the Christians. So the first beast, this is what it's representing. The governments and their regimes that would come in with power, with might, with soldiers, with weapons, and they would rule over the people. And they would create some sort of order, right, even through oppression. And what's funny is, even through that oppression, people would turn to that power and be drawn to that power and be attracted to that power. 
Verse 8, chapter 13, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Satan uses the first beast, the beast of power, to rule the earth. And to make the people worship him, he uses might and military and people flock to that. People worship that. Now the second beast, we see in verse 11, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. This second beast that came from the earth is sly, is cunning, this beast is what they call the it's a hard word propagand propagandist propaganda pastor may you want to try joking <laughs> propagandist someone who spreads ideas and theories to deliberately push forward their own agenda the second beast if the first beast was about power and might the second beast is not concerned about power but is concerned about signs Images and wonders that seduce, threaten, manipulate the peoples of the earth. And what's funny is people were drawn to that. People were drawn to these ideas. People were drawn to these theories, these conspiracies. Now, I know that even in our church, we have wonderful people that are very keen on conspiracy theories. This is the verse that you love. The Illuminati. That's what we're talking about. If I don't turn up next week, you know why. I'm just saying, you know why. But this is, it's amazing because we think, does this really exist? And can I tell you, probably about five, maybe even ten years ago, I had no idea. I had no idea what these conspiracy theories were about. It's pretty much like when I met Pastor May and she introduced me to this wonderful wide world. Some of my brothers from, from Strati just giving me all these wonderful ideas and I just thought, wait a minute, I don't even understand this stuff. It's amazing. It's so much out there. There's so much out there. And in the same way that this draws, the power of, of, of government would draw people to worship them, the second beast is all about the sly and cunning use of information to manipulate and draw people to Satan to love and worship him. So within this war between the woman and the dragon, we see that there are many people on earth at the end of the day that will be drawn to worship the beast and through the beast to worship the dragon. And they will be, they will be lured by the promise of power and propaganda. But in chapter 14, we see an alternative to the type of worship that exists in the world, and it's the worship of of the Lamb. Chapter 14, verse 1 to 5. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and, and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpers playing their harps. 
they, and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except, except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remained virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. For those who did not defile themselves, for those that did not choose to worship the beast of power or the beast of manipulation and information, the 144,000 would choose to worship the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? It's Jesus Christ. They were set apart. And that's what it means to be holy. God's people were set apart and they would honor and follow the Lamb. Now, within the passage of people worshipping the dragon and worshipping the lamb, that's what we see. We see this clear divide. And at the end of the day, at the end of this earth, as Revelation gives to us this picture, there's just going to be two categories of people in this life. There's people that are going to worship Jesus and there's people that are going to not worship Jesus and worship the enemy, worship Satan. But it's not just about who you worship because who you worship has consequences. The choice of who you worship has consequences. Uh, chapter 14, verse 9, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength, not half strength, full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image and for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Scripture tells us that for anyone that chooses to worship the beast, the dragon or Satan or any of that part, they will receive the wrath, the punishment from God. And there's some very strong words and images in there. Torment, burning sulfur, forever and ever. It, this, is, this is John's description of the consequence of choosing to worship Satan. And it will be forever. And this is what we call hell. But within this battle, God calls his people to stay the course and remain faithful even to the point of death. Chapter 14, verse 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. There is a peace and comfort to those who worship God and the Lamb. Big difference. Big difference in consequence. As I said, these three chapters, there's so much to talk about, and I hope that you use your time in your life groups to continue to dive deeper into these passages. But if we were to summarize these passages, it's asking us, I think it's asking us, it's taking us back to that simple question, that one most important question, who is it that you worship? See, the picture shows us that at the end of the day, there's only two categories. It's either people that worship the lamb or people that do not. 
At the end of your life, can I tell you, it's not going to be about what degree did I complete? How much money did I earn? How successful was my business? How many children did I have? Because I would win that one. I'd get a gold medallion for that one. My name would be on a plaque. Five. You know, I'm not Abraham, but still, five's pretty good for a modern day. The only question that's going to matter at the end of the world is the question, who do you worship? Who do you love and adore? Who's, who, where does your heart go? All your love and attention, the reason for your living, the meaning and purpose behind your life, who is that for? How do you know? How do you know who you live for? You know, and, and there's two categories. There's, 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 sorry, there's three categories. There's, there's a group of people that they live unashamedly for Jesus. You know. They walk down the street. You know. You know that they worship Jesus. They're the ones that when they get married and they have kids, they, they're the ones that call them, like name their kids like, you know, Zachariah. You know, like, not just Zach, like, you know, not, not Jeremy, but Jeremiah. You know, like, any, any kid that has Aya at the end of it, your parents probably love Jesus, right? So there are, there's a group of people, it's just, you know. The second group of people is, it's, is as obvious that you just don't worship Jesus, you don't name your kid Jeremy or Jeremiah. You name your kid like, <sighs> be creative. Use your imagination, you know. Forbes 24, you know, like, you know, X20. I don't even know what that kid's name was. You know, Elon Musk tried to name his kid a formula or something, right? You pretty much probably know that he probably doesn't love Jesus, right? So that's a very obvious group too. Right? And they might not be like, we worship Satan. But in their rejection of worshipping Jesus, then they're worshipping everything else. But there's a third group of people. And what's interesting is, I reckon some of those people would be in this room. It's the confused people. It's kind of, I kind of do both. So I'm a little bit unsure. Because on Sunday, I go to church. At night, I pray to God. Before I eat. I definitely pray to God, you know. But then I'll go out and I'll cheat on my taxes because I'm making money. Or I'll go out and I'll be unfaithful, but that's okay because it's just a little white lie. And if I was to look at that person, I'd be like, I'm confused. Who do you worship? I'll tell you, part of my life, a long period of my life, if people saw every part of my life, they would be so confused in who I worshipped because I lived a really good double life. Sundays, you would be like, he loves the Lord. Mondays, you'd be like, he loves the world. And I lived this life so well. And I, I was part of that middle. And depending on which angle you saw in my life, you, you, you wouldn't know who I worshipped. And maybe that's some of us. Right? It's like we're part-time worshippers of God. <laughs> you know, we're casual. 
with God, casual with the world. But as funny as that sounds, right, if I said to you, do you think it's okay to be a casual husband or a casual wife? Well, how about a casual father or a casual mother? You'd say that is unacceptable. And in the same way, God would say that is unacceptable. Either you're for me or you're against me. This passage reminds us that there's a very real reality that we live in, and it's not just the physical world, but we live within the spiritual realm. That there is a war raging amongst our lives between God and Satan. And can I tell you the good news? The good news is that God has won the ultimate victory. At the end of the day, you know, God wins. Right? That's the end of the story. Right? How great is that? But what's funny is we know that. Right? For those that, you know, read their scripture and, and have been going to church, you know that. And yet, we, we get confused on who we're going to back. We know Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And yet, when we look at our lives and the decisions that we make, the question of who do we worship becomes quite blurry. And I'm not saying this because I'm, 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 I'm looking down on you, I'm judging you. I'm, I'm saying this because I think that's a very real reality that all of us struggle with. But at the end of the day, the most important question that you have to ask yourself is who do you worship? Because the consequence of that question, the consequence, every other question you ask in this world, the consequence finishes when you die. Right? The, the, the choice of me to eat McDonald's over salad, right? There are consequences with that. And, and when I die, that's the end of the consequence. And I don't want to be a negative Nancy, but if you eat salad all your life, you still die. So it's not like you don't die if you just eat salad, right? I'm just saying, just saying. 30 days of, you know, 30 deals, McDonald's. Thank you very much. We'll love them, right? But any choice that you make in this life, when you die, that's it. But the decision of who you choose to worship is the one decision where the consequence goes beyond this life and will actually determine the rest of your eternity. And it's that question, who do you worship? Yes, God has won the ultimate victory through the death of Jesus and the resurrection on the cross. And in these last days, and we say last days, because tomorrow is no guarantee. No one's got tomorrow guaranteed. But in these last days, we live in a world where there is real tension, where the evil one, even though the enemy knows he is defeated, he is doing everything and anything to, to, that he can do to take down as many with him as he goes down. Because that's who Satan is. That's how evil Satan is. He knows he is defeated, but as his ship is sinking, he is still trying to grab as many people and try to drag them down into eternal damnation with him. That's the tension that we live in. That's why, that, that's why we struggle, because this world, for a period, is under his power, influence. That's the default. It's a choice that we have to proactively make to worship God. 
And it's tough because it's like walking uphill or swimming uphill. To choose Jesus, to worship Him, to, to, to allow Him to be our passion, our desire, our meaning and purpose, it's a massive tension in our life. And if you don't feel that tension, then you probably need to get out a bit more. It's tough being a Christian in this world. You know, you, you don't walk down the street and go, I'm a Christian, and everyone goes, wow, that's great, you're awesome. You don't get applauded for that. You get mocked, you get looked down upon, you get spat upon. You get marginalized. People lose jobs because of their faith. People get discerned by families because of their faith. And people lose their lives because of their faith. That's the world we live in. See, the people that were drawn, people in the world that were drawn to the power and the propaganda of the devil, they're living life. And sometimes you know, people, people ask that question, why, why, why is it fair that non-Christians live better lives than Christians? And my answer to them is it's all, it's all surface. It's all surface. Inside, it's hollow. But this is why so many people give up on God. This is the This is the reality. They choose the easier path. They choose the default path. They choose the downhill stream. Yes, may, maybe there was a time where they tried to resist it and they tried to, you know, fight the temptations, but it's just too hard. It's just too much. And the temptations and the desires of the world become fun, easy, and desirable. The enemy says that this is the best life you're ever going to get, and they believe that. And so instead of patiently enduring, they give up and give in to the worship of the world. But friends, it's a choice. Every single person has a choice. And the choice is this. You either choose God and worship him or you don't and you choose to worship the enemy. And as much as some people say, you can sit on the fence, you can't. can't sit on the fence. You either choose God or you don't choose God. You've actively got to make that choice, not passively not make that choice. Who will you worship? Who will you worship? Who will you worship that your love, attention and passion go towards? And my prayer and my hope is that you will choose to worship God that your love, your attention, your meaning and, and purpose in your life would go towards God, the creator of the universe, the creator of you and I, and the one that owns the final victory, and that you would choose his team over the enemies. Let's pray.